The Bible from 30,000 feet, soaring through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're actually, I'm going to teach you about inductive Bible study and give you tools to make you more proficient and better students. And my teaching is actually going to be fairly short because we're going to invite a couple of pastors up halfway through the service and we're going to field questions from you. So if you have a question about maybe a commentary or how to better study the Bible or maybe even a particular passage that you're dealing with, write that question down and then you'll be able to ask one of the pastors that come forward. But will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather here this night. We pray that you would bless this study, that you would use it to glorify your name. And we just commit it into your hands, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So two dates in history stand as important moments, helping us better see the universe. The first is 1608. It was in this year that a Dutch eyeglass maker named Hans Lippershey developed an invention that could magnify an object three times. And then later, a fellow by the name of Galileo borrowed this invention and made what we now know as the telescope. And the telescope, of course, gives us an expansive view of objects. And the second Invention occurred really around the same time, between 1609 and 1610. And there was really a group of individuals working independently, including Galileo, and they were developing a similar phenomenon where an object could look at something very small. And of course, they later named this the microscope. And the microscope allows us to see minuscule objects. Well, together, these two inventions revolutionized the way we see the world. The telescope allowed us to peer into space, and the microscope allowed us to focus in on cellular activity. Well, tonight, I'm going to give you a telescopic view of Bible study and a microscopic view of Bible study. Interestingly enough, they're both interconnected. But first we must ask the question, why should we study the Bible at all? Why even take the time to study the Bible? Well, if you have your Bible, and I know most of you do, I encourage you to turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15. And while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about this text we'll be reading. Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy, to his student Timothy. And in this chapter, chapter 2, he's talking about the characteristics of a great Christian. How to be a, a Christian strong in the Word, strong in grace. And then in verse 15, Paul writes this. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. So again, why do we study the Bible? I believe Paul lays out two principles here. The first is that he commands it. And the second is inferred that it helps conform us into the image of Christ. We study to show that we're approved. That we are good workmen for Christ. That we are being conformed into His nature. But let's first look at the fact that Paul commands it. Notice that Paul doesn't say, if you get around to it, Timothy, or if it's okay by you, or if you feel like it, be diligent or study to show yourself approved. No, he just comes out and says, be diligent. And diligent in the New King James Version is translated as study in the King James Version. So Paul just comes out and says, commands, he gives a directive, Timothy, study. Telling him he needs to be doing that. And so the question is, what is it Timothy is to be doing while he studies? Well, Paul answers that question as well. In the King James, it says, rightly dividing. Or in the New King James Version, it says, present yourself. But it's this idea of rightly dividing. It means to make a straight cut. It means to carve a path through something. So Paul is telling Timothy to cut a path through Scripture. He's telling him to dissect the Bible. And notice how Paul describes this as the word of truth. And that word that Paul uses for truth is aletheia in Greek. And what Paul is communicating in this short verse is that we are dealing with God's word when we study it. We're dealing with God's truth. And so we need to approach it as a scientist or maybe an artist, as a living organism, that we're carefully studying it to comprehend it, to apprehend it, to observe it, and hopefully to apply it to our lives. So it's a tall order. It's a command. And that's the first reason why we study the Bible, because it's commanded. But there's a second reason I believe that's inferred in this passage. And that's to conform us into the image of Christ. And I'll briefly give you what I believe are four characteristics of someone being conformed in their study. And the first is that there's a desire. The moment you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit enters your life, the Holy Spirit starts to really work in you. And he places that desire in your life for God's word. Why? Because Jesus himself said what? Thy word is truth. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will lead you to truth. So when you are a Christian, you will start to desire the word. There will be an appetite for it. And so we need to cultivate a passion for scripture. His spiritual truth. So study will shape your desire. Secondly, we need to drink from Scripture. We need to drink the Bible like a thirsty person craving water. We need to gulp down the words of the living water, the Bible. Study will help sustain and quench your thirst. So there's desire, there's drink. Third is 
by studying the Bible, it will develop in you a spiritual mindset. We drink from the Bible so we can learn to be like Christ. We need more convictional Christians in this world, do we not? That means we need more Christians who are serious about studying the Bible. How do we get conformed into the image of Christ? We delve into His Word and allow it to wash us. So the Bible develops in us Christ-like characteristics. So study will advance your walk with Christ. So desire, drink, develop. And the fourth, I believe, that helps us conform us into the image of Christ is that we'll deepen our relationship with the Lord. When we're in the Word, we learn about how beautiful He is. We learn about His principles and His precepts and how we're to love Him more fully and how we're to love other people. And the Lord begins to dig deep roots in our life. And we depend more and more on Him as He communicates His truth through His Word. So how... Does it conform us into His image? That there's a desire for it. That we drink from it. That it develops in this Christ-like character and it deepens our relationship with us. So with these two things in mind of why we study the Bible, first it's commanded, and secondly it helps conform us into the image of Christ, tonight I'm going to help you, hopefully, learn how to be a better Bible student. And I'm going to give you Two strategies, a telescopic view and a microscopic view that are interrelated. And I really challenge you to use some of these in your study. And to do so, I'm going to introduce the inductive Bible study method. And we're only going to spend a brief moment there. And then we're going to look at what's called the 6R study. And along the way, I'm going to introduce you to some other books. But please note... There are other great studies out there. These aren't the only two. But why I give you these two? Because they are wonderful, practical ways that you could put in place tomorrow. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to know Greek, though you will learn Greek along the way. These are practical means to help you become a better student of the Bible. You with me so far? All right, let's get started. So, the first one is the telescope. The telescope. And this we would call inductive Bible study. Let me define for you what inductive Bible study is. It's an approach of biblical study that focuses in on three broad areas. And these areas are observation, interpretation, and application. For those of you who are taking notes, observation, interpretation, and application. So what do you do in observation? Well, let's use the same verse we were using. So you observe. You look at the context of what you're reading. In this case, you go, oh, this is a letter by Paul. And it's part of a thing where he's talking about being a good soldier for Christ, being a good disciple. And he's really talking about being a good worker for Christ. So you're observing type things. And then you read it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. 
And you begin to look at words and key thoughts and key phrases. So the observation is where you read the text and you're focusing in on its general meaning. From observation, you then go to interpretation. And with the interpretation, you ask, well, what does this mean? What does it mean for the original audience? And what does it mean, or what did the author mean while he was writing it? So you're asking those questions. What does this text mean? And you start thinking through that process. And then that leads you to the third, which is the application. During the interpretation, you're saying, what did it mean to the author and the writer? Then you go, what does it mean to me? And you look at that and you go, study or be diligent to show yourself approved. Well, maybe I need to be more diligent. Maybe I need to learn the skill sets to rightly divide the word of truth. Maybe I need to do a study on truth. And you start applying it to your life. So inductive Bible study is simply a three-step process. Observation, interpretation, and application. And the goal of inductive Bible study is to understand and apply the truth of the text to your life. So the question is, why do I call this the telescopic or the macro vision? Because what it does is it brings the lines of the text to the texture of your life. It brings something small as lines and it says, live this out in the world. It's concerned with not so much head knowledge, but life knowledge. That it goes from your head to your heart to your hands out to the world. We observe, interpret, and apply so we could listen, learn, and then live the text. You with me on that so far? So, let me just tell you on the offset, there's so much more to this. Luckily, I have two resources to point out to you. The first is by our very own pastor, Skip. He wrote this book several years ago. It's called How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. And really what this is, is an introduction to the inductive Bible study method. So I would encourage you to get a book like this so you could begin to understand how to use the inductive Bible study. And again, it covers so much more ground than we are able to do tonight. And the second book is kind of the standard book on inductive Bible study method. It's Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. This is the book they teach you in Bible college. This is the one they encourage you to get because it goes so much more into depth about how to study the Bible with the inductive Bible study method. And these are two tremendous resources that I would encourage you to get. And our bookstore carries both. So that's the telescopic. You guys got it so far? Let's move to the second one. The second one is the microscopic. And we call this, or I call this, the 6R study. And what you're going to find is it's intricately related to the inductive Bible study. But it, it gets a little more in depth. And let me really encourage you guys to do this. At least for a week you're going to find out that it's really going to be a fun process for you. So where did this method come from? Well, I actually developed this method in college. While I was in college, 
I learned about this system of note-taking called the Cornell Notes. And I thought, man, this is a great way to take notes. And then I started to think, well, how can I apply this concept to biblical study? So I came up with this six-step approach. And briefly, the six steps are read, reflect, react, respond, respect, and resources. And we're going to get into these in a moment. And here and soon, you're going to see a form online or on, on the screens. Here's the cool thing for you guys. If you go to the 30K app that our web team, Sam Garcia and his guys, developed, you could download the app, and on the app is this form that you'll see here in a moment with these six things and the boxes. You're going to hear me referring to, well, write this in this box. Simply download the app and then print off the form. And then you can start your own commentary. You could start a pilgrimage through the scripture. And guaranteed, you will learn a lot through this. So let's begin to unpack it. And by the way, it looks like this. This is what you would print off. You see it now on the screen. You see the boxes here. It's just a simple method of Bible study. And that's going to be remain on the screen here for a minute. So the first thing you do is you read the text. So let's do it again. Be diligent to present yourself or study to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And simply what you'll do is in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see it on the screen, is you just write the text that you're studying. So you would write the text down right in this area. So you could keep track of what you're doing. So once you've read the text, you move to the second area, which is reflect. And like the interpretation area in inductive Bible study, what you're going to do is you're going to look for key words. Now let me stress here. This section, section two, is for words. You're going to write the word down that jumps out at you. So as we read this, we could go, huh, be diligent. That's a pretty important word. So I'm going to write that word down. To present yourself, huh, that seems like an important word. So you would write that down. Approved, you get the point. You start writing down key words during that section. And then here's the catcher, guys. After you've written down the words in this section, you then have to define them. And the way you do that is you either need a Bible dictionary, this is just one of many, or better yet, folks, simply download for free an application. I just downloaded eSword, it's free. And watch this. All I have to do, this says study to show yourself approved. I just click that thing. It gives me the Greek and it defines it for me. It gives me the Greek and it defines it for me. Esort, it's free. But in this section, you need to write the wor words and then define them. You've with me so far. The next section is you begin to react with those words. You start asking, well, what is happening? What is the author trying to communicate? So you begin the interpretation process. And the key word in this section, you notice it on the screen, is wisdom. You're not looking for the words. 
You're looking for the wisdom. What it is you're seeking to understand from the text. What it is the author is trying to communicate. You write the wisdom part down here. Again, you're looking for the interpretation. Here you were concentrating on the words. Here you're concentrating on the wisdom. You with me on this? All right. Then the next box is what we, I call the respond box. And this is like the application section of inductive Bible study. And I think in any type of way you respond to scripture, three things you should always ask. How, how does this apply to my family? How am I to do this in my family? How am I to do this at work or school, my friends and community? In essence, how does this apply to the totality of my life? And you begin to write down how this applies to you in given situations. How you could use it. What it could do to strengthen your faith. How it could deepen or develop. What you could drink from it. And you begin to jot these down. And do you see what you're doing here, folks? You're creating a running record of your interaction with God's truth. You're writing down the words. You're getting the wisdom from it. What you're learning from it. It's a beautiful little process. And it's all on one piece of paper. You don't need hours of Greek. It's just right here before you. But I do need to pause right now. Because up until this point, we've allowed scripture to lead, right? Everything has been Bible focused, which is tremendous, which is great. But there's a caveat. You can't always stop there. You go, huh? What, what, what do you mean, Brian? Well, think of it like this. You just took a test. You're studying the Bible. You're gleaning from it. You're writing down the words. And then you have to check the answers. You have to ensure that your understanding of it is correct. Before you could say, I got an A in understanding, I must ensure that I've grasped the answers from other people, experts. And let me tell you why this is important, which leads us to our last two points. Church history has shown us that there's primarily been a three-tier approach to biblical study. A three-tier approach to biblical study. The first is what I call the magisterial nature of Scripture. Magisterial means it's above all. It's superior. So the Christian begins with Scripture. We start there. That's where we get God's truth. That's where we get our marching orders, if you will. But at times, we need to go to the second area, which is the ministerial. The ministerial. So we have magisterial, scripture, then ministerial. And that is church history. We look at what other people have said about the text. We go to Bible teachers. We go to commentaries and we develop an idea to make sure we're not going too far off in our understanding. Why is this important, folks? Because most of the cults that have started in the world have been because people have pursued their own ideas in light of the body of Christ. They feel they've got in a room and the Lord just spoke to them and they have some new revelation and they start telling this revelation and they're way off. Think of the Jehovah Witnesses. And then they start teaching what we now know as heresy. 
and it turns into a cult. So one of the things that we're doing is we're keeping a checks and balance between our own understanding with what the body of Christ has said about that text. You following me on this? So the ministerial nature is very important. Think of it like this. The English pastor poet John Donne said, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent. Here's his point. We're all connected to the body of Christ, past, present, and future. Anyone who has received Christ as Lord and Savior, that is the body of Christ. So we must learn from the body of Christ. I'm not an island unto myself. You with me on this? So we have the magisterial nature, the ministerial nature, and then finally, we have the, what I call, meta-stereal nature. Nature. Meta is just another word for your mind. You're using your reason. You're using your brain. Why? Why do I say that? Because there's times you're going to go up to a scripture and you're going to go, man, I don't know what that means. So you'll go to the ministerial tier and you'll see what other people say and you go, ah, I don't know. You're still confused. Well, that's where you just got to start thinking about it. You ponder it. You meditate upon the scripture. You think deeply. But please note, during this section, you have to be humble. Don't all of a sudden think you got some new revelation. Just go, golly, this is what I think it means? This is what I believe it means? Let me check with other people. Let me go talk to Pastor Skip or one of the pastors on staff. Or let me go find some good books. To do that. But the point is, we need to use our brains. So the metasterial, the ministerial, and then the metasterial. These three things have guided biblical study throughout church history. And why did I tell you all of this? Because primarily, the last two steps of our 6R study deals with these two areas. So, number five of the six steps is respect. In this step, you respect others. You respect those who have went before you and those who are around you. You listen and learn from what others have said about the text. Commentators are a great way. Bible, audio, online, YouTube, other ways. So one of the guys that I use, happens to be one of my heroes of the faith, is John Stott. Love John Stott. He's, he's kind of like up there in my Parthenon of guys that I look up to. And John Stott, so I, in my preparation for this study, I, I, I read this. And I'm just going to read you three things that help shape my idea of this text. First, this is about rightly dividing the word of truth. And John Stott likens it to a road or path, or to be more modern a motorway or freeway that needs to be cut straight through the countryside. A cut in the right direction. So John Stott illuminated that more for me. I respected what he said. And then regarding the word of truth, here's what John Stott said. This is the apostolic faith which Timothy has received from Paul and is to communicate to others. So Paul understands Excuse me, John Stott understands Paul is saying what Paul got from the apostles, he's now handing off to Timothy 
And Timothy, like a relay race, is now going to hand it off to the next generation. The word of truth. And then this is cool about being a great Bible student. I love this. This is what John Stott says. A great Bible student handles the word with such scrupulous care that he both stays on the path himself, keeping to the highway and avoiding the byway, and makes it easier for others to follow. Don't you love that? Good Bible teaching, good studious Bible study, makes it easier for others to follow. And just think, by you doing this, you're making it easier for your family or your children. You'll have your own commentary. You know, you go, Skip's writing commentaries. You know, Skip, so am I. I'm doing the six-hour approach. I've got the whole book of James down. And you just three-hole punch it. You get my point. But here's the cool thing. During this section, during the respect box, you just write down some pages and people that you respect and that you could look up. So I could write down John Stott, page 9091. Maybe Charles Spurgeon, page 360. You get the point. It gives you references of people that you could use that helps illuminate the text you're reading. You guys with me? We have one more step before we call the pastors up. And this last one is resources. And it's directed and correlated to the respect. And here, with the resource section, we start developing a small library. Now, now listen to me. I'm not telling you to go mortgage your house to you know, buy a library of books. But there are some books that you really should have in your library to help you study the Bible more. I told you about a Bible dictionary. You don't have to pay for one of these. You could get one of these online. Some good commentaries are also free online. You know, I'm part of the publishing department, and our job is we put these books together. You know, the Bible from 30,000 feet took us many, many years. I've been here 10 years at Calvary. I was with Chuck Smith before this doing his books. Overall, this took us 10 years to put together. 10 years. And we do it to put it in the hands of people so that they could learn and listen to the truth of the text. And you need to get things like this in your library. Again, not trying to bankrupt you, but find some books that will be helpful in building resources that will help you in your study. Which leaves me with the last two resources I will talk about. And these relate to the 6R study. The first four points I addressed, which were... Read, reflect, react, and respond. I thoroughly recommend that you get Basic Bible Interpretation by Roy Zuck. This will really help you understand how to interpret the Bible properly. It will talk about things such as genre and symbolism and types in all of this, I know it looks a little daunting. You don't have to read it one sitting. But it will really help you get the most from your Bible study. Particularly in those four areas that I just gave you on that one sheet of paper. Now the second resource I recommend is a book 
booklet, actually, that Pastor Chuck Smith and myself wrote. It's called Line Upon Line. And what I love about this book that Chuck and I did is that the first part, which is very thin, kind of gives you a summary of what I just talked about, the six R. We don't use the six R's because that was my thing and we use more Chuck's um, versions in, in his adages. But during the first part, it kind of talks about that. But then here's the beautiful thing. The second part are resources that you could look at to get more insight. So let's say you're studying a particular book of the Bible and you go, huh, I'm in John. I want to use the 6R study method, but I want to find other commentaries, people I respect. Where would I begin? Well, you would turn to here and you'd go, well, here's a commentary on the epistle of John. Here's one by John. And it gives you resources to help you start your study. So this is line upon line by Chuck Smith and myself. Now, here's the sad news. Brian in the bookstore is out of these, so you will have to get these either online or wait till they get more in. But it's a very inexpensive way to fulfill that last section of resources. So there you have it. The telescope, which is the inductive Bible study, and the microscope. Going a little more in depth, getting a little bit deeper with the 6R study. But my hope and prayer is that you will use these tools to give you an expansive and more extensive understanding of the biblical text. But more importantly, folks, I just pray that you would desire the word, that you would drink from it, that you would let it develop you into Christ-likeness, and that it would deepen your walk with Christ. I'm telling you, it's a joyful journey to go through the Bible. That's why we're here, right? Every Wednesday night, we're going through the journey of God's truth. We just now need, on a personal level, know how to rightly divide it. Being the workman, the laborer that's approved before God. So with that, I'm going to ask Nelson and Jason to come forward. And hopefully, you've jotted some questions down. Now, as I pointed out, we're going to try to focus our original questions on either study techniques. Maybe you could ask Jason or Nelson. And why Jason and Nelson is because they've both been senior pastors. Jason was a senior pastor on the East Coast. Nelson was a senior pastor uh, in the South. And they both spent a lot of time studying. So what I'm hoping you'll do is put on your Bible study cap and say, boy, I've hit a wall with this. And hopefully we could unpack that. And then if we have time, we have about 23 minutes. If we have time, we'll to delve into other things. But are there any questions you guys have? And I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be the guy that w- walks around. <clears throat> so come on, questions, people. Right here. Okay. I hope I hope you can still hear it. All right, you got to stand up. What's your name? Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. I'm Brian. Kathleen. Nice to meet you. I just have a question for Matthew three twelve, and it's talking and just throws in the threshing floor, and it does that throughout the whole Bible. I just want to know 
Your take on life. Threshing floor. Do you guys have any insight into what the threshing floor? The, a concept of the threshing floor used in Matthew. Testament. Okay, I know I know a threshing floor, but in Matthew, what particular? The threshing floor was basically what they would use to separate the wheat from the chaff. So when they would harvest the grain, it would have the wheat kernel inside the shell, the chaff that you don't eat versus the grain that you would eat, and a threshing floor was often kind of a hole somewhat on a hill that had a breeze. So they would take a scoop and throw the wheat and chaff up in the air. The chaff is much lighter. The wind would blow it away, and the wheat would be heavier and fall. So they would thresh the wheat over and over until finally the chaff is blown away, which was then... It kind of blew over the hill and landed, and they would burn it. The idea was to separate that which was useless from that which was useful. And the chaff was to be burned, whereas the wheat was to bring nutrition. So when they're using, anybody's using, Jesus or others are using the idea of the threshing floor, they're talking about a judgment-type separation between that which is useless versus that which is useful. And in Jesus' case, it would be the saved versus the unsaved. What he said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. And it talks about his winnowing fan is in his hand. And a winnowing fan is basically a big fan on a pole that when the wind is low, they can actively add wind to it to help that division process. And so this is John speaking, I believe, about Jesus who's coming and he's not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. And part of his goal is to find those who truly believe in God and those who are just playing a game. And he's going to divide those people and it's going to be an active role in that deciding factor between those two things. And he's looking for those whose hearts are truly to the Lord. Excellent. Now let me tell you the real answer. No, just kidding. (laughs) Those were good answers. I wish you would. Yeah. Okay. Tell me your name. Richard Hadamio. Richard Hadamio. I have a question. I... I grew up and I live in a very small Spanish community, majority uh, Catholic, and I lived there most of my life. And uh, I became a Christian and, and a believer in college. I went home and I had no resources, so I wanted to figure out how to study the Bible. And I basically read the Bible cover to cover. Uh, and sometimes it would take me like five years, but I'd read it closely and study it. And uh, now I drive into town. It's 65 miles one way to come here, but it sure is worth it. And uh, if I'm studying... Oh, you clapped before he got his question. <laughs> I'm just wondering, you know, all this time I studied the Bible cover to cover. I really didn't have any guidance on how I pick a topic or how do I choose what to... Other than reading the Bible cover to cover, how do I choose what to study... Uh, using the methods you're suggesting now. How, how, what topics, what, what would you guys suggest for an inductive Bible study method? Let me begin with, there are many Bible reading plans. And without trying to list this, that, or the other, there are many Bible reading plans. The fact is, uh, the goal is to read the scriptures and to absorb them, as you said. 
but what plan am I going to use? There, there are many. I'll, I'll, I'll defer here to a moment. He'll give a few examples, but there are many more examples than the one I would give. The idea is just keep doing it, keep reading it, follow the plan. It's like uh, anything else, a diet, an exercise regime, anything else we're doing, follow the plan, stick with the plan, the fruit will come. In terms of actual plan how to do this. Well, the first thing is is that the Bible never fails to speak to us. So as long as you're in the scriptures, you're in the right place, right? And so sometimes God is just going to lead you and you're like, oh, I'm going to read the book of James. And you realize, oh, God wanted to slap me around for a while because that's what James is like. And other times, you know, you want to read the Psalms and you're like, oh, I just needed to to work out some emotional things here with David and others and, and, and figure out the goodness of God when things seem bleak. So always just be reading. So, But you could do things like, you know, you could do Old Testament, New Testament, like what Pastor Skip does a lot of the times. And so take a gospel, go to a history book, go to an epistle, go to a history, to a, uh, to a prophet, and back and forth like that. Uh, you could hit the big five. Help me with this. Uh, Genesis, Daniel, Matthew, Romans, and Revelation. Right. The big five books that if anyone wants to study and master, those are the first five books to master. Exactly, because they're going to hit all the giant peaks. Like if you wanted to climb all the 14ers in Colorado, you hit the tallest mountains there, and you seem really awesome, and your Instagram looks great. Some but people were is... writing, and maybe I did that too quick. Genesis, okay. Daniel, Matthew, Romans, Revelation. I saw some people trying to write. It's like, yeah, maybe there's an acronym for that. Quick. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it hits all the big major stuff. And so just as long as you keep it fresh and don't just, you know, if you're always reading Paul, it's going to get a little, you know, get bogged down. Spice it up. Go back and read, you know, Esther or Ruth or the judges, you know, just don't get in a rut. Keep it fresh. And if you are having a hard time with that, change translations. If you've always been NAS or New King James, man, go to the message. Yeah. Or go to NIV. <laughs> so, you know, just keep it fresh and keep it in. And what I do each year is, is I choose a book of the Bible, and I systematically go through it using the six R's. I just pick a book, but I, I agree with Nelson and Jason. There's lots of plans. I'll go from a, a New Testament to an Old Testament. Sometimes it'll take me two years to get through a book, but I just systematically go through it. Let me add very quickly a plan that Pastor Skip uses. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday... Old Testament. You begin with uh, Genesis. You, you read, put your marker in it. Tuesday, Matthew. So it's the Gospels. Wednesday, you move from the, uh, the history books to poetry. So you'll begin with Job. So Wednesday is poetry. Monday is Old Testament history. Tuesday is the Gospels. Wednesday is the poetry. Thursdays, you jump back to the Old Testament, so it's old, new, old, new, and you begin the prophets. Friday, you move past the Gospels and you start with Acts, so you Acts through the rest of the New Testament. Saturday, you look at whatever passage is going to be taught that coming week, and you go dig deep, use the R's to some degree, so that when you go to the Bible study, you've read the passage, you've thought about the passage, you've read the passage, you know what's coming up on the weekend, you know what's coming up on the next Wednesday. So your weekend is your prep of pre-reading that which is going to be taught so that when you're listening, you're not hearing it 
for the first time. We've probably read it before, but it's fresh. So it's Monday, Old Testament history. Tuesday, Gospels. You finish John, you go back to Matthew again. Wednesday, poetry. Thursday, letters, beginning with Acts. Friday, prophets. Saturday and Sunday, go for whatever is going to be taught that week at church and dig deep. And Pastor Skip will use that method a lot. You could always buy the tape to hear all that again. You know, <clears throat> question right here. Uh, Brian, tapes? Oh, CDs, sorry. Yeah, okay. It shows my age. Download shows the MP3. Shows my age. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Herb. Uh, I was trying to witness uh, to uh, an atheist. Uh, one of the comments he made was the Bible is uh, full of errors, and he actually quoted scriptures. He said, your second Peter 1.20 says that no scripture is a private interpretation, but you got 500 denominations. Sometimes pastors think one thing, other pastors think another. My answer to him was, and that's what I want you to comment, uh, that may be the case on some uh, instances, but in, on the, in the foundational doctrines, we all have to be in agreement. The virgin birth, Christ is God as God as, as, as much God as the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit and so on. Let me begin in, with, with an apologetics mindset. Whenever I'm talking with someone who has an objection to Christianity, whatever they might be, evolution is full of contradictions, you can't trust the Bible, I have a couple of thoughts in my head. The scripture declares in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, uh, earth is handiwork day after day, utter speech, night after night gives forth knowledge. There's not a speech or language that has not been heard. Romans chapter 1 says they all had the truth but chose to suppress the truth in unrighteousness and worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Therefore, God gave them over. For they had the law written on their hearts. In, in other words, every single person knows God made them know. God put it in their conscience, put it in their heart. And the only way to walk away is to suppress the truth that God put in every person. That is what Romans 1 says. That is what Psalm 19 says. You have both general revelation and special revelation given there. So any objection that comes is somebody who is fighting against, as Paul would be told by Jesus, isn't it hard to kick against the goads? So I always begin when somebody gives me an objection is, if I can answer your question, are you going to bow your knee to Jesus Christ? And most of the time, they're not seeking, they're just pushing. And, and you know, I want to listen to them, I want to hear them, because correcting people and slapping them in the head with truth doesn't save them. Any, any of you ever been slapped in the head with the truth but didn't come to the Lord until later? Loving them is what saves them. So the idea is, well, I can answer your question, but this is just an intellectual thing. What I used to say is, when did God let you down? So what I'm saying is, and I teach this to my students, never wrestle with the pig, you both get dirty, the pig likes it. Don't. <laughs> what? It's, it's true. Don't get caught up in the argument. Switch it to God loves you. This is the cross. Now, in terms of answering things, you're absolutely correct when you say that the Christians agree. Of the doctrines that the Christians agree on, all the churches agree with the Nicene Creed. All the churches agree with the Chalcedonian Creed. Those are the basic doctrines of Christianity. Now, some churches like real worship, and some Christians like other, when I say real, like 
real live active, not like this is real, this is false. Some Christians, it's, it's more preference. Uh, some doctrines we agree to disagree on, whether or not there's a pre-trib or post-trib rapture, but that these are not essentials. All groups agree on the essentials. We disagree on some of the preferences and non-essentials. So that was the right answer. And those essentials are the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed. The Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, and all Protestant denominations all agree 100% with those creeds. Everything else is fluff. Another one right here. You made it easy for me. You're right in front. Question to a small question. Um, uh, my name is Jose, by the way. I have a question about the Trinity doctrine um, uh, as it applies to three gods in one. Um, from what I've read, it was around 381 AD that three Cappadocians steeped in Greek philosophy at the request of the Council of Constantinople decided that the Holy Spirit was a separate person, uh, a, a whole other being. Um, these Cappadocians were non-believers, and my question is this. Do you, is it in your opinion that it may have perhaps been a linguistical error to genderize the Holy Spirit as a he rather than neuter, separating him from God the Father and making him an entirely separate being? All right. In the original, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say I, a huge I, question. I got that. I mean, I that. literally, it, it, that. It's, not, it's not a small one. I would disagree with you to say that they were not Christians. The Cappadocian fathers were Christians. They, they, were, they, they were believers. They were people that prescribed to exactly what Nelson said, both the Chalcedon and the Nicene Creed. Plus, they didn't come up with the Trinity from Greek philosophy. They came up with the Trinity from Scripture. Scripture clearly teaches the, tr- the, the triune nature of God throughout. The Holy Spirit is God. He has the characteristics of God. He has the qualities of Godhead. God the Son has the characteristics of divinity. And God the Father. All three are divine within the Scripture. What Chalcedon did in the Nicene Creed that Nelson mentioned, they just put to words in a statement of faith what the Bible teaches is truth. And and though the Trinity is something that is difficult to understand, it's not illogical. Three and one is something that I could prove to you. Right? One divided by one divided by one equals one. Three distinct numbers still equaling one. So though we can't comprehend it completely, we could apprehend it. And, and then there's a second part to that, which we would probably have to really begin to unpack. But according to my clock, I only have six minutes. But Nelson, Jason, did you guys just, want... Uh, well, he, he addressed something in the Greek. So people go to the Greek and they'll talk about the original language. Some people here know other languages where they have masculine, feminine, and neuter. All right. What happens in the Greek is some words are masculine, some words are feminine, some words are neuter. It just has to do with the way the word ends. Now, the word father in the Greek is pater. It is feminine, but it's, de- it's, a, it's a male term. The word for Holy Spirit is pneumatikos or pneumas or pneumatos, and, and that's neuter. The masculine, feminine, or neuter endings of the word have no bearing whatsoever on the word. It's merely a grammatical construct. 
So when those look at that and say, well, you know, father, it's a masculine word. And it's pointed out that, yes, but it's in the feminine case or, or, or the feminine ending. It, it, it throws them off. So that whole argument based on the gender of a word and the Holy Spirit being a he rather than an it has no bearing linguistically. The fact is, Jesus himself in John said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he, and then he used the word he, will lead and guide you into all truth. So Jesus is the one who tagged him as a he. So I either listen to Jesus or somebody who doesn't know their language. I'll go with Jesus. Go ahead, Jason. Just real quickly to that point, yeah, in in ancient languages like Greek and Latin and things, you have those declensions, which basically tells you how to put an ending on a word that tells you what it does in a sentence, where we do that by word order in Latin and Greek and other things. It doesn't matter about the order, about the ending, and what ending you get gives you the gender number and case and and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a very precise kind of complex language. That's why it does that. But like you said, God says about himself he and he's three in one and so all of them are he yeah and i think this goes back to respecting the whole body of christ church history that's why we don't want to just get focused on something determine that we've come up with a unique new idea irregardless of two thousand years of the breast the best and brightest minds giving attention to this and i do want to add that it was the council of nicaea that first gave the Trinity definition we have now within the nature of the one true God or three separate and distinct persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they gave us that definition. But people like Tertullian in the second century were already teaching it. It just not had been codified because the church was running for its life under persecution until Constantine when they were allowed to gather and have a council and put all this stuff together for everybody. So it was being taught in unpersecuted pockets by the scholars, second century, third century. It wasn't until the fourth century when the persecution stopped, that they were able to bring everybody together and say, let's codify this stuff. And so the Council of Nicaea codified it. But it was already being taught, and you will find it in church fathers, even prior to 364 when they had the Council of Nicaea. Sorry we got so heady on everyone, but I know you're all taking notes. Here we go. Next question. My name is George, and um, in the book of John, it talks about the arrest of Jesus. And when Jesus was arrested with the centurions, and they asked him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. Well, in the book of Mark, it talks about a young man or a young lad that was in the linen cloth. That when this happened, this young man came out in uh, 51 and 52 of uh, Mark 14. It talks about this certain naked boy coming out. Was this boy raised from the dead when, when Jesus said, I am? No. Okay, first of all, we're dealing with what's called the synoptic gospel. Seen in the Greek, S-Y-N means you know, to view and optic. Well, optic is to view and seen is alike. So to see alike. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels, and you find certain details in each of them that you can say, oh, I come over here, and it's like we've got this guy, and we come over here. What you've got is John Mark. John Mark is related to Peter without getting into all that happened. At night, the, the guys wore what we would call like a gown, and then they would just throw their outer coat on that. So if somebody tried to grab him, and I'm, I'm a big, bad Roman soldier, and I've got swords, and he ducks away backwards, it, it, I could peel his shirt off. What you're dealing with is 
when the people came to arrest Jesus, they started trying to grab also others. And, of course, I'm looking at these guys who have swords and clubs and all of that, and, and I'm going to get away. So you really just have John Mark, who would later go on the first missionary journey with Paul, bail out later on in Second Timothy. He's, he's Paul's friend. He's going to be bringing the scriptures to him while he's in prison. Um, he, he was just one of the guys that hung there. It wasn't just the 12 disciples. And um, he, he escaped by jumping out of his clothes, just like Joseph escaped by jumping out of his clothes. Jason, how do you want to correct Nelson there? <laughs> Don't grab my shirt. Yeah, no, See, sir. I, I will knew, not grab I knew your shirt. They had to correct them somehow. We folks are out of time. I know there were other questions out there, but that's why the pastors will be here after the service, so you could ask them those very difficult questions. But thank you so much for being here tonight and for kind of going on a little journey of making us better Bible students. Um, the bookstore, Brian Trujillo, let me know that he has some of these books on end caps. If some of you are, want to investigate more of Skip's books or whatever. But God bless you. As you journey through Scripture, you will find the joy of the Lord by doing it. For more resources, visit calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from the Bible from 30,000 Feet.